Okay. Even that sounds good. <laughs> so uh, we're having the inaugural run with a new speaker, which uh, Keith uh, kindly uh, went out to Micro Center this past Saturday to to pick up for for our use. Uh, so we did a test with uh, with Jeff since he's usually the first one to come in on Zoom, and uh, he, he gave us the thumbs up. Uh, so hopefully we're coming through loud and clear. I, I'm uh, uh, not going to have to turn around to get the speaker to plug in any longer. This this will work uh, for my talk and for the discussion period and for, for the whole thing. So it's it's nice to have. Yeah, it's, yeah, it sounds great, and I I could hear the water zipping off the tires of the cars passing by during Zaza and clearly. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's coming through too loud then. I should probably tamp it down a notch or two. <laughs> if you hear us snoring, then we know it's, it's <laughs> too loud. Uh, Keith, yes. Keith, can't you filter the zoom? That it cuts out the background noises. Oh yeah, yeah. You can do that, but if you do that, then you lose the uh, resonance of the bells as well. So. Yeah. Oh, like, okay. Like the... I I just know from other zooms I do. Okay. Yep. Thank you. Okay, so uh, tonight the plan is uh, have a, a bit more to cover. Uh, from the section of Shahaku's introduction where he's talking about Dogen's term that he introduces with this text, Jujuyu Zanmai. And then uh, once we finish uh, that, we'll be ready to get into the, uh, the body of, of the text itself. Uh, so where I wanted to pick up uh, is is where he, uh, and he, I mean, uh, Shahaku in his introduction, uh, is, is talking about how this, this realization that we, uh, that we practice, that we manifest, self-realizing, self-manifesting, self-actualizing, uh, that we cannot make it with our own effort. And this is an important thing to bear in mind because effort is part of practice, but we're not, with that effort, we're not creating it. We're awakening to it. It's already there because we can have easily fall into this mistaken notion that we're creating our awakening. It's, it's there. But without our effort, we can't awaken to it. And as Shahaku then goes on to nicely describe, because it's already there, what do we get to do? 
uh, once we awaken to it, we just kind of sit back and say, excellent, wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. And it is indeed very precious and, and makes us realize the preciousness of our lives in each moment thereof. So as we were talking about to some extent last week, uh, this, this basic truth about our existence, that we create our own personal world through our distinctions, our discrimination, our value judgments and definitions. So this is the human made world. This is the world of, of our relative conventional existence. And we all do that and we'll continue to do that even as we're practicing. The practice of Zen does not uh, mean that we have to turn our backs on the conventional world. What will happen is we relate to that world very differently. And within that world is where we have subject and object, which we're very familiar with. And the separation that that signifies. Although it is one, which our practice uh, keeps us in touch with that understanding that realization. Even though that's the case, we still come back to thinking there is separation. And we continue then to separate things, which makes it easier for us to navigate our way through our lives. So it's important that we be able to do that even if we went off to a temple. Members of that temple would have their individual responsibilities. There would be some type of organization. We depend upon that, whatever we're engaged in even spiritual work, we require it. And to come to understand that if you recall, uh, there's, there's a short phrase from the Hokkyo Zanman, you are not it it actually is you, or in truth, it is you. You are not it. So this world that we create by our individuality is not it. That's not the absolute. So we are not it, because we're still uh, existing in that realm even though we've awakened to it. 
but it in fact is you points to the fact that this realm of, of delusion of separation of individuality is within the absolute it, it doesn't fall outside of it that's an important aspect of Dogen's teaching that's why it's important for us simply to see the relative nature, the limited nature of our existence. To have a real clear picture of that, while at the same time having the realization of the tr our, tr our true nature and the true nature of all reality that transcends separation. Uh, the realm of emptiness that we studied in texts like the uh, the uh, Diamond Sutra, the Heart Sutra. It kind of runs throughout the Lotus Sutra as well, for that matter. So all of the work of our deluded nature with all of our human creations is also yeah, that's that's emanating from the absolute from this the emptiness of all things so it's all empty it's all interdependent it's not that we have this realm of, of delusion of, of separation and that falls outside the way many religions depict the sacred, that the sacred is something pure and does not involve the, uh, the profane, the everyday, the ordinary. So there's that root separation that never merges. But in, in our way, that separation doesn't exist. Nothing falls outside of the absolute. Even our, deluded, our delusion and our deluded nature. So this basic fact of our reality that we are deluded. We will continue to see things as separate and act accordingly, even though we understand that that's not truly the case. That's to be awakened. We talked about this last week, just to reinforce it. This practice is about awakening to our delusion. And as long as we've awakened to that, then the delusion loses its chokehold over us, but can still serve the purpose that it 
really uh, was created to fulfill for us. So it does uh, come in very handy in terms of how we navigate our way through life. But the problem is we treat it like it is the absolute. This is the way things are. And we dig in. That's when our delusion becomes harmful. But if we've awakened to it, it loses its, its ability to generate dukkha for ourselves and for others. So we don't have to eliminate our delusion. We do need to awaken. If, if our attempt is to eliminate it, we're going to be very frustrated practitioners because we'll continue to fall into it. So when people come to me about how they're falling back into it, yeah, I can encourage them that, well, you've, you've already uh, uh, you're more than halfway out of that because you've recognized that. You know, that is awakening to your delusion. Otherwise, you wouldn't be talking to me about it. That would just be part of your life. Before we start practicing, we're generally not having those kinds of discussions with anybody. We don't see it in that, in that way. So once we start seeing it in that way, you're definitely on the path. And yeah, a teacher can be helpful to some degree, perhaps, but you've already done a lot of the work yourself. The fact that you're actually a present and having that kind of a uh, conversation with me. And it's our delusions that kind of create our individuality. What makes us different? So we can begin to see through this awakening to our delusion that the importance of the individuality that if we had oneness that didn't include that, that that would, uh, would be a very different world. I've, I've used before uh, the example of the Borg and from Star Trek. I mean, I, I think that is a pretty apt example of, of that sort of just all is truly one there. <laughs> you talk about interdependence. <laughs> they had it down but at the expense of all notions of individuality. So I think they really are uh, a lovely example of the importance of individuality within this total reality that we find ourselves in. Even though it's rooted in delusion, 
because we are all interconnected, but it's not the way the Borg are. It's that we are interconnected with our individuality. So we should definitely treasure that. But in treasuring it, we also have the clear uh, evidence in our society where the cult of the individual, where, where, that, where that can lead. So we have the Borg or we have uh, neoliberalism, you might say, and just uh, uh, everybody uh, seeking their own advantage based on the fact that, that they are the most important thing and each, each self uh, occupies a similar position in the world. And the notion of evolution is the survival of the fittest, <clears throat> rather than the view of evolution as uh, survival of those who, who have uh, greater social intelligence and actually cooperate. And that'd be another view of evolution, which would seem to make a lot of sense, actually. Being able to work together. So this, this notion is, is key to, to bend the law of the, the fact that reality, as we know it, has both of these aspects, the aspect of the absolute and also of the conventional. And, and it's, it's really essential that they're both present. So this, this practice of awakening to our delusion rather than eliminating our delusion. Very important point. Now, I'm sure we'll be circling back to this uh, fairly regularly because it's a key teaching of this text. And our, our accepting our are being limited beings. That we can only see a limited part of the world. So in, uh, in order to see the whole of reality, we would have to get out of reality and we we talked a bit last week uh somehow quantum theory found its way into the talk and and uh there there there's a quantum physicist i forget which one but you, he used uh the imagery of the bird's view versus the frog's view the bird's view is to to be able to to get outside you know, being up flying over everything and to see everything. Whereas the frog is like us, we're, 
we're, we're in the midst of the whole thing, so we can't see the whole thing. Of course, the bird can't either, but just the metaphor uh, works to a, to a degree at least. And the recognition is being limited beings that because we're right in the middle of reality, we can't see the whole thing. We can only see segments of it. So, and, and Shahaku here uh, pulls in the term that, that, uh, that we use in our service, Anyutara Samyak Sambodhi, uh, uh, perfect, complete enlightenment. And this, this, uh, Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi is the realization, the seeing into that we cannot see the whole world. It's to, so it's to understand that we are deluded and limited. And with that understanding, now reflect upon how we get so attached to our positions and so convinced that this this is it that's delusion it's not in keeping with our limitations the limitations of all human beings of all beings so this is a practice of letting go we have to let go of our viewpoints. That doesn't mean we have to throw them away. Letting go uh, is, is to be seen uh, as Uchiyama's metaphor of opening the hand of thought. We have to open our hand of our viewpoints, which are one of the categories of our thoughts. So we have to open the hand with those along with all other thoughts. That's really what Zazen is about. We don't have to stop thinking. We don't have to stop having viewpoints. What we do need to stop doing is to stop treating them like they're absolutes, which makes us absolute beings, right? <laughs> that's, that's the implication if we really believe that. And we're all these godlike figures. And we do act that way often enough. That's what we need to awaken to. So we can stop doing that. So when we let go of these limited views, open our hand to them, now Anyatara Samyak Sambodhi is there. It's just manifested itself. So this letting go, which is at the heart of Zazen. And it's only when we're doing this that we're free from the limitations of our individuality, our finite. The things that set us apart 
from other individuals. So coming back to this, uh, the beginning of this text about uh, what was transmitted, this is what was transmitted by the Buddhists and the ancestors. Just this. This is what Dogen is telling us. This is what was simply transmitted. So come back to the sense of difference then. The expression of this awareness is different for each person. So our practice manifests differently. That's a key part of Zen teaching. So we're not, again, we're moving away from the world of the Borg into the world of individuality again. Within our practice, even though we recognize all is one, but yet we don't see any longer that there's some conflict between the individuality and the oneness of all things. So we are liberated to be ourselves. while still having that deeper, more profound realization about our true nature. But each of us will practice that in our own unique way, because we still remain finite beings. So part of this transmission is for people to be able to continue to practice in their way. If a center, a sangha, was trying to create uh, a sangha of clones, that would be diluted. <laughs> they would not be awakened to delusion, to our being limited beings. So to find this, this harmony, this balance between oneness, so we do things in unity, but yet at the same time, we have our own individual styles and things we bring to it. So from the aesthetic side, it's a very beautiful thing. And the more those two can be merged together, the more beautiful it becomes. Again, if everybody was just exactly like everybody else, there's not really any beauty there. And if everybody's just off doing their thing, not a whole lot there either. It's just bringing those two together. It creates something truly special.
right. And then I guess uh, to, to finish this up, uh, Dogen throughout his teachings uh, uh, spoke a great deal about the role of the teacher, the importance of a teacher. Uh, and in this introduction, uh, one of the most important aspects of a teacher is, is set out as being uh, uh, that, that she or he is a living example of the manifestation of Anyatara Samyak Sambodhi, how that practice gets embodied. Not from the standpoint of people should imitate that. That would be to, to misconstrue it completely. It's to inspire somebody to be able to practice it themselves authentically as they are. That's the most important thing a teacher has to offer. There aren't these secret teachings that the, that the teacher has been made privy to and <laughs> open up the vault and, and share that with, with certain students. It's, it, everybody has it already. So it's just walking that path with others. When I asked uh, Mike Newhall, if he would be my teacher, uh, he he was kind of he backed off from that, uh, and that wasn't that he was didn't want to be my teacher. He just said, "I'll walk the path with you." <laughs> that was the way he phrased it, and that's a really apt way of describing. That's what a teacher does. Because we can get too caught up in some of these other uh, more highfalutin, romanticized notions of, of a teacher and, and this, that, and the other thing. But at its heart, it's just manifesting the practice. And recognizing that for all of us, you know, our our lives are pervading the whole universe. It's true. Each and every one of us. And yet, at the same time, my life is also just myself. Both of these are true together at the same time. Zen is, a, this is why Zen is always throwing up paradoxes. Because the one foot at the floor of the ocean and and at the same time traversing the surface. And this is where paradox arises from bringing those two together. <clears throat> so I was mentioning to Joe before we got started tonight that uh, a couple of nights ago, I finally got around to watching the film that swept the Academy Awards back in February, uh, uh, everything, every, everywhere, all at once, uh, kind of pointed to this, this basic truth of reality. 
And of course, uh, it was using physics, multiple, the multiverse, <laughs> many worlds, and uh, this poor family, the mom, mom especially, but her husband and daughter, they, they, they're all doing, traveling as well to these uh, different, different worlds where their lives took different turns. And, and uh, it's just hilarious, but at the end, where it comes back you know, to this sense of, yet yeah, my life is just myself, and it brings it back to what's right here, right now. Because we can get lost in you know, this multiverse, or our view of, of Zen could be like the multiverse where, oh, it's just all this stuff and just get swallowed up in it. But yet we come back to these core practices like compassion, loving kindness, which is right here, right now, this person. It's, it's also carried out in the conventional world one person at a time. Hence the Bodhisattva vows, beings are numberless. Beings. You know, our awakened mind says, well, what are they talking about? You know, I, I passed my, my freshman year, there are no beings, right? <laughs> so give me the more advanced teaching. I'm beyond that now. But now, this is pretty critical. This is the advanced teaching that there are beings, even though there aren't. Back to the paradox that, yeah, these beings actually only exist in their interdependence with all other beings. But yet, this is where our practice gets carried out as the limited beings we are. So we care for all the limited beings that we encounter. And that's how this, this movie ends up. After all this and lots of martial arts involved and I'm laughing up a storm, it's just hilarious. <laughs> but when you get to the end, it really starts to uh, tug at the, the heartstrings because it comes down to just these big core relationships. This woman, who's uh, on the verge of becoming master of the multiverse. <laughs> She's needed to save other worlds. It comes down to her relationship with her husband, her daughter. Yeah. After that whole two hour adventure, we're back to that. And I'm sitting there going, wow. <laughs> <laughs> This is really phenomenal. Really phenomenal. So I think what I'm going to do, we're not going to get, I'm at the end of, uh, of Shahaku's introduction. And uh, all I wanted to do before I open things up is to just, we've already chanted it, but uh, 
get back to page 19 again, just kind of read the opening line or two of Jiju Yuzanmai. And next week we'll get into this in a lot more detail. Uh, so it opens up with for all ancestors and Buddhas who have been dwelling in and maintaining Buddha Dharma, practicing upright sitting in Jujuyu Samadhi is the true path for opening up enlightenment. Both in India and in China, those who attained enlightenment have followed this way. So these are the opening two sentences. And as is usually the case in Dogen's text, the first few sentences kind of get right to the heart of it. And then the rest of it is just kind of filling things in, further explicating. But the sense that all the ancestors and Buddhas who have, who have uh, passed this teaching down to us, who we acknowledge, you know, we dedicate the merit of our practice to them. We dedicate this merit to, and we go through uh, the shortened list of those. Uh, and to dedicate is to, to honor. We think about dedications in our normal uh, activities. Outside of, of, of Zen services, to, to have a dedication of something is to, to honor them, to recognize our interdependence with them. The interdependence of our way of life, our practice with them. And I'll, I'll have uh, more to say next week about this notion of, uh, of dwelling in and maintaining Buddha Dharma. So it's an interesting combination, dwelling in and maintaining. The practice seems to be involved on both sides. Where, where are we dwelling? And wherever that is, the maintenance of it. Again, because we're limited beings. We're constantly changing. So maintenance would seem to be pretty important. Important aspect of practice. How are you maintaining your practice? <laughs> All right. So well, nothing to plug in now, so jump right in. Joe? And Dean, could you remind me of the the interpretation or the, the meaning of the words did you Zamai? Yeah, it's well, the Zamai is just Samadhi. So it's this mm -hmm. single 
pointed focus. And then Jijuyu is, is, is the self. It's self-actualizing, self-realizing. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's looking at our true nature. And there brings us to yet another big paradox. If Jijuyu Zanmai involves dropping off self, body and mind. So to, for self to be actualized, we have to drop off self. <laughs> Where's the sense in that? <laughs> Sounds empty. <laughs> Yeah, if we don't completely let go, we'll never see our true nature because the, the, the nature that we see that we can observe is the limited nature. So we, that's what we have to set aside. And then we can have, we can't see, because we don't have that bird's view, we can't see uh, in the conventional sense, our true nature, but we can intuit it. We can have an insight into it. But the only way we can have that is if we let drop off our conventional sense of self, our limited way of seeing ourselves. We have to let that go to create the clearing, the opening for our true nature to manifest. So that's Jijuyu Zambai is self-actualizing, self-realizing, and why it is so connected intimately to this letting go of self. Seems like uh, an irresolvable paradox. How could you do, do that by letting go of self? It's the only way you can do that. The only way. So, so in terms of forms, I mean, I'm, I, I always think about, you know, the, the different forms, the kinhin, the, you know, offerings to the altar, the uh, chanting and so on and so forth. So in terms of what you were saying about practice, could we mm -hmm. say that like the sort of like Zen forms that have evolved are sort of to give us like a, a a baseline while we're all sort of you know doing our own version like we're all in a circle of kinhin but we're all doing a little different and just like when we're all sitting and staring at a wall your wall is going to be different from my wall or is that is that not really fair oh uh 
I mean, I no, I, I think it is fair. Uh, but then, uh, you know, going down that path, uh, just looking into that, uh, I think kind of uh, directs us to look at the the uh, end last sentence of the opening paragraph. So we did chant this. Uh, and this is where Dogen says, from the time you begin practicing with the teacher, the practices of all these different forms of incense burning, bowing, and butsu, repentance, and reading sutras are not at all essential. So it's the importance of see, seeing that they're not the essential aspect of the practice. What is, he says, just sit, dropping off body and mind. So instead of just do it, <laughs> Dogen says just sit. <laughs> but, but they give us kind of like a, a base that we all share and work out of together? Exactly. Because, and, and because, because the incense burning, the bowing, and on and on and on, we could throw in whatever forms you want to, because they're not essential. Now we look at them as just supports to the practice as, and what they are, uh, are just ways of coming together and supporting each other in the practice. Uh, so it's it's this aspect of harmony. So all these individuals come together, and if we're on this uh, journey of of seeing our true nature, uh, which means we have to transcend our limited nature, we have to be able to somehow go beyond that, even though we're not really capable of it, without. Uh, something like the practice of zazen to open us up to our ability to have insight into it. So all these forms are really just ways of, of harmonizing our practice. But they are not at all essential. And the forms could be swapped out. We could take on a different set of forms. And there'd probably be some merit in, in doing that because the, the problem there becomes like with anything when we become attached to them. And that can definitely happen. So the forms have value, but they're not really the heart of the practice. You know, and Dogen, his at his temples, they did these these practices, yeah, but so he wasn't saying stop doing it. He was just saying see them with with the enlightened eye, enlightened about practice, that they are not the heart of this. The heart is zaza. He was very steadfast about that. Uh, that was his teaching. Everything else is just a footnote to that.
It's all grounded in Tasa. Chief. Yo. I was bowing to Mike because I thought he was. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's those forms. <laughs> All right. I guess we're we're good then. So next week we'll uh, we can look forward to getting into the beginning of the text. We've we've definitely laid the groundwork. We've talked about how this text fits into Dogen's the, the body of his work over his lifetime. We've talked about the meaning of Bendawa and then the meaning of Juju Yuzama. So we're we're primed and ready to go, I think. All right. I vow to myself and to each of you to commit myself daily to the healing of our world and the welfare of all beings, to live on earth more lightly and less violently in the food, products, and energy I consume, to draw strength and guidance from the living earth the ancestors, the future generations, and my brothers and sisters of all species to support others in our work for the world and to ask for help when I need it, to pursue a daily practice that clarifies my mind, strengthens my heart, and supports me in observing these vows.